This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Back off a one week hiatus, it is the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, joined by my punch drunk predictions partner in crime, Patrick Shviglinski. Patty, it's been a couple weeks. We, I mean, I, I intro you always as the punch drunk predictions partner in crime, but we haven't even done the punch drunk predictions in a couple weeks because there haven't been any UFC fight cards, but that doesn't mean there hasn't been UFC news to talk about. So we thought we would reconvene tonight. We're taping this on Wednesday evening, October 26th. Before we get into it all, how have you been the last couple of weeks? We haven't, we haven't talked all that much. Hey man, I've been great. You know, there's uh, no punch drunk predictions, so there's no reminder of <laughs> any crippling losses or anything that's going on. I've kind of, you know, uh, just gone back to the drawing board as a lot of these fighters after a tough loss do and uh, reconvened and gotten some rest and relaxed and tried to, uh, you know, forget some things that happened in the past. <laughs> Did I see correctly on the gram that, that you hit up the Yeezy show? That's correct. That's correct. We saw we saw Pablo himself performing live in Vancouver. Mind you, almost two hours late, uh, <laughs> which, which was rough. Um, but we stuck around. We stuck it out. It was a lot of fun. It was a good night overall. You know, he brings it every time he performs. So good time. <laughs> so Conor McGregor time is still not as bad as Kanye West time in terms of timekeeping. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Well, as I said off the top, there has been, obviously, it's a never-ending cycle of news in this industry, in the MMA world. We will jump right into it. We didn't talk last week about George St. Pierre's announcement with Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour that he is a free agent. That, of course, was refuted by the UFC less than 24 hours later, saying he is very much under contract. We are the sole promoters that are able to promote him at this time. What I wanted to talk about is what happened today on Wednesday or even, I guess, last night on Tuesday night. Middleweight champion Michael the Count Bisping coming out, taking to Twitter, telling George to be a hero to to the country, to sign the papers, saying that he is agreed in principle to a fight with George St. Pierre at UFC 206. UFC president Dana White instantly comes out and says, I know Mike wants it, but that fight isn't happening. And then today we get a video message from George St. Pierre saying, look, Mike, I I would love to take the fight. I was in Las Vegas last week as John Morgan TMZ detailed on on Twitter and on MMA Junkie last week, snapping a picture of George in Vegas. He was there to talk with Ari Emanuel, one of the heads of William Morris Endeavor and IMG. He was there to sort of resolve things with Dana White because that has been a very contentious relationship for the last little while with Dana publicly stating time and again that George doesn't have the heart to fight anymore. As he said, as GSP said, those issues are improving, but but things aren't resolved, so he's not coming back yet. He will not be at UFC 206 as of right this moment. I guess what I want to start with and, and ask you is what do you make of all this? What do you make of Michael Bisping coming out and playing the... I've agreed to it. Now the ball's in your court. And then George volleying right back and being like, actually, no, the ball's in the UFC's court. They know my terms. That's what's standing in the way of this. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think um, it came a little bit out of left field um, that Michael Bisbing even, you know, kind of brought this up, this fight with GSP to me. I mean, this is a guy who got you know, his face beaten up pretty bad by Dan Henderson not too long ago at UFC 204. And a guy who, you know, 
I, I wasn't sure would be completely healthy and ready to fight by December. Obviously, he is, um, or at least he's saying he is, to get you know a potential matchup with GSP, which is definitely a smart uh, business move on Michael Bisbing's uh, end. But in terms of the whole situation, it seems you know it's a very strange one to me because obviously you have Michael Bisbing saying he verbally agreed to this fight, and like you said, the ball's in GSP's court. But he, you know, GSP has all these contractual issues with the UFC that he first needs to work out. I think that, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that GSP wants to fight again and he wants to be on that uh, UFC Toronto card. But, you know, he definitely wants it to be on his terms. And I don't think that necessarily is going to work, you know, uh, you know, with, with the UFC. You're not going to, you know, strong arm the UFC, especially when you have you know, Conor McGregor coming out at, at UFC 205 and Ronda Rousey coming back at UFC 207. You already got two huge stars there uh, waiting for two gigantic shows. Um, it would be nice to do the three-peat as Ariel Hawani, you know, alluded to um, earlier, but uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily something that's going to happen unless something drastically changes on the UFC's, you know, um, uh, end because you know it, right now I think you know George St. Pierre's probably made it very clear to the UFC what he wants. Uh, now it's just going to be a matter of of whether the UFC does that, and I'm just not sure it happens, especially you know in this day and age where there's a new ownership group and a lot of changes are already happening. And 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 it's an interesting thing because the new ownership group um, obviously they probably know who George St. Pierre is. Um, uh, he's a huge star, but this isn't, you know, they, they didn't enter into the UFC ownership during the era of George St. Pierre. They entered it into the era of Conor McGregor and now of a returning Ronda Rousey. So in their eyes, I think those guys are the biggest stars in the, in the company right now. So obviously the return of George St. Pierre would be massive, I still think. And if it was marketed the right way, I think that it could be huge, but you know, now as time dwindles down between now and December, you have less and less time to sort of pump up the return of George St. Pierre. And I think that will, you know, uh, hurt that fight eventually, you know, if, if that were to happen, if he were to come back and there wasn't enough time to sort of, you know, build him up a little more again. I don't think when they came in is that much of a factor. I mean, if, if you, you know, suddenly took over ownership of an NBA team after Michael Jordan retired, you still know who Michael Jordan is. The greats in the sport transcend eras, transcend time. So this notion that they would have to reintroduce George St. Pierre to an MMA audience is preposterous. Um, there's a lot to unpack with this situation in terms of the relationships and the contractual side of things, but I don't want to go into that. I think that's, I think there are people that are quite frankly and quite honestly much better versed in those things and the dynamics of it than I am to speak about it. You mentioned that, you know, it sort of felt like out of left field to you, this fight, it's, it's one that has been talked about throughout this idea of GSP coming back. I know I wrote about it a while ago when, when this was actually one of those fights after Michael Bisping had won the title that was rumored as a potential for George to return to. I do think, and Mark Ramundi touched on this on MMA fighting when Bisping made his statements I think it's crazy that they would kind of hustle Michael Bisping back. I believe he would be cleared from his 60-day suspension um, just a couple of days before that event takes place. So that, to me, would be a rush. I think that's another one of the considerations. It's probably further down on the list than sorting out the contract stuff with George. But that's something you have to look at. Because in this day and age, when we're talking about concussions in the NFL and Sidney Crosby is making his NHL debut because he suffered another concussion in the preseason. We can't be hustling guys that, that just got off suspension right back into the cage for the sake of big fights, even though we both agree the Toronto market needs it. The interesting part to me, and I wanted to get your take on it was I feel like the reaction to this has sort of been, been mixed and been 
a little bit different than sort of, you know, nobody seems to have a problem or, or people understand Conor McGregor wanting to chase big fights. They may not like it, but they get it. But then when George St. Pierre wants to return, but wants to make sure his money's right and all the contract stuff is right, you get Michael Bisping and you get people within the MMA community and people on social media saying, oh, just come back, just get it figured out. How much do you really need? Like, we can't have it both ways. It can't be okay for us to be in the money weight era and us to be looking at, oh, just make the biggest fights possible that make the biggest money. And then telling a guy that's been off for three years and on a contract that is very different than the one he would need to fight now to just suck it up and get back in the cage because we really want to see him come back. Yeah, I mean, and and that goes, you know, back, I think, to the perception of George St. Pierre as a fighter. And when you compare him to someone like a Conor McGregor, um, you know, the, the perception, I think, of George St. Pierre has always been kind of the the honorable guy comes in with that karate gi, you know, back in the day and and just a, a very, you know, honorable fighter who who fights to be a champion and and all this stuff, you know. At the end of the day, he's a fighter for money, <laughs> you know, and and that's the bottom line. As much as, you know, you can talk about honor and becoming a champion, all these fighters are trying to get paid and a guy like George St-Pierre needs to get paid. He is at that level. He is, you know, the kind of original, you know, not not the original, but, uh, you know, he's one of the big faces of this sport and one of the guys who, you know, really brought UFC into the mainstream, uh, you know, during his era as, as champion. And I think that, you know, a lot of that, um, you know, people, people have forgotten, you know, and, I mean, people haven't necessarily forgotten what he did for the sport and, you know, how much popularity he brought to it. But I think that, you know, with time, people's tastes have, you know, shifted. A, a lot of people are now interested in seeing a guy like a Conor McGregor talk his talk or whatever. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that having George there would definitely be be beneficial for the UFC. Uh, having his return, you know, be in Toronto would be, I think, massive. Um, but, I think it, it, it like you know like we were saying I guess it goes back to sort of the perception to me of George St. Pierre he's he's a guy who you know you think would go after the championship so it's a little weird when you see him take a fight with a Michael Bisbing if he were to take a fight with Mike Bisbing you know I think that threw me off a little bit because you know he wasn't doing that during his career he was always that guy defending that welterweight belt in a sea of killers but now, you know, the dynamics of the, you know, organization have changed a little bit. And, you know, lest we forget, uh, you know, George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva was rumored for a very, very long time. Never happened. Um, but, you know, he was thinking about making that move, you know, up to middleweight for, you know, to challenge Anderson Silva in a huge fight like that. And I think that this is, you know, just the continuation of that for, for George. I mean, at welterweight, you know, he doesn't need to go back into that, you know, deep sea and really, I think, grind it out and try to, you know, uh, get, I mean, retain his title. I guess he retired as the champion. I don't think he needs to go back into that. He he needs to do what's best for him at this at this point in his career. And I think that a fight with Michael Bisbing, it makes a lot of sense stylistically and it makes a lot of sense financially. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree on the, the fight with Bisping front. I mean, I think it's it's smart business for Michael Bisping to continue to try to be out in front of this. Um, I think it's hilarious that he, he's able to just get out there and, and try to position himself as maybe not the good guy, but the look, I'm doing my part guy on this angle yesterday on Tuesday night doing the, I've agreed to it. It's pretty easy to just, you know what I mean? Dana White calls you up or Sean Shelby calls you up and says, Hey, would you be interested? Or sends you a text and says, would you be interested? And you say, yes, of course. And that constitutes verbally agreeing to the fight. Um, I think that part of it gets, gets overplayed. And Elias Cepeda had a great piece up today on mixed martial arts, uh, dot tv talking about sort of some of those dynamics where 
the organization can just float out a name and you go, yeah, I'm interested. And, and that sort of agreeing, verbally agreeing, and they can play that back against the other side. I don't think these guys have ever had a bout agreement put in front of them. They obviously can't. George doesn't have a working contract or a contract that he's happy with at this time. So I don't think they're going to put anything in front of him in that regard, but it is going to be interesting to see if the UFC can get this figured out with George, if he does end up returning, because as you said, and as we've said on here before, he very much seems committed to this. If he wasn't, if Dana White was right and George St. Pierre didn't really have it in him, he wouldn't have gone into the USADA protocol. He wouldn't be pressing to get all of this contract stuff sorted. He wouldn't be out in public as much as he has been in the last couple of months saying, look, this is what I want and it's not happening. So now it's a matter of can the new ownership led by WME IMG get together with George's people he is represented by their greatest rival in terms of the agency side of things, CAA. So that will be a hurdle to clear. But it's definitely a story that I don't think is going to die down for the last couple months of 2016 or go away in 2017. So we will definitely talk about this again in the future. It's the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. Patrick Shviklinski, E. Spencer Kite. A fight that was added to UFC 206 in Toronto, announced today. We believe it will be the co-main event. Featherweights Max Holloway and Anthony Showtime Pettis. This one got everybody on Twitter just going bonkers because stylistically it feels like a surefire fireworks matchup. I texted it to you. You were at work. You didn't even know it was going on. So you've had a couple hours to process now and, and wrap your head around it. What are your initial thoughts? Oh, my goodness. I love this fight. That <laughs> that, that was my initial thought, you know, when I, when I first heard about it. Um, like you said, I mean, stylistically, this fight is, is just awesome. I mean, you get Max Holloway, you know, arguably the 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 best young you know featherweight uh out there right now you know a young and hungry guy who you could take young out of that max holloway is just one of the best featherweights out there full stop a hundred percent but the benefit is also that he's still very young and i don't think he's still reached his potential which is mad impressive i think uh when you think about how, you know, how many people he's beaten, you know, in the last little while, how many of the top names, obviously Ricardo Lamas, Jeremy Stevens, Charles Oliveira, Cub Swanson, you know, you could go on. He's he's definitely done enough to earn a title shot, but obviously with the mess that is the featherweight division right now, um, you know, this is definitely, I think, the best fight that he could have gotten uh, outside of a title shot. And, and it makes a lot of sense stylistically as well for the fans it's going to be a lot of fun anthony pettis we saw him in his uh you know featherweight debut against charles Oliveira in vancouver uh he looked you know uh, a little rusty in the early goings of that fight but came back and looked like an absolute killer finishing uh Oliveira there um this fight i think is is going to be you know a lot of fun and i i don't know what to expect i mean you you have a guy in anthony pettis who you know, was the champion at lightweight, has moved down to featherweight. This is a huge challenge for him. And this is, you know, obviously a big step up in competition, I think, from Oliveira to Max Holloway. Um, you know, that's as close to a title shot, you know, in that division, uh, that kind of matchup that you're going to get against Max Holloway, who, you know, has been an absolute beast as of late. So I'm really excited to see, you know, I I feel like with Max Holloway, we know you know he's get what he's gonna bring. He's such a tough guy. He's such a dynamic fighter. But what Anthony Pettis is gonna show up? That's the, the more interesting part for me to see. You know what what Showtime we get? Do we get vintage Showtime uh, coming in there trying to knock Max Holloway's head off, or do we get a more calculated version of Showtime? Um, that's gonna be really interesting to to monitor. Uh, you know, leading up to this fight and, and on fight night. I think this is a great ad for UFC 206, which 
as we've talked about and I've written about on Keyboard Kimura a couple of times, um, certainly needed a fight like this to make it better than it was. I don't feel like this is a fight that suddenly makes this an absolute must-see great pay-per-view. I still think it's it's not strong enough for the return to Toronto. Um, that said, I don't think there's much else they can do. I don't think we're suddenly going to get three or four more fights added to this that that have some pop. So it's going to be interesting to see what these numbers bear out, both in terms of live attendance and pay-per-view returns on December 10th, December 11th, when those numbers start coming in. I think it is a, a very good fight. I think it's it's the best fight available for Max Holloway, as you said, given Conor McGregor moonlighting at lightweight and Jose Aldo wanting to leave the organization. This is the next best thing available for him. He's on a ridiculous winning streak. And, and you said you're, you think it depends on what Showtime shows up. I don't think it matters. I think Max Holloway is better than any version of Anthony Pettis that steps in that cage. You mentioned that he's still young. We still haven't seen the best of him. I agree with that. But even the version that we saw at UFC 199, where he did the 10 second call out to Ricardo Lamas and they started slinging in the middle of the cage to finish things off. That guy is a nightmare matchup for Anthony Pettis, who has always struggled with volume strikers, with guys that are going to put him on his back foot as opposed to let him dictate pace and let him find range. I think this is the fight Max Holloway needs to really take himself to that next level with fans that so far have thought of him as a fun fighter, but done the like, well, who has he really beaten ridiculousness where they underrate Ricardo Lamas and Cub Swanson and the dudes that he's beaten. And this takes him to that next level where it becomes talk of, okay, let's get him in there with Conor McGregor again. Okay, if Jose Aldo's sticking around, let's run that back. If he's leaving, let's get him in there with Frankie Edgar and get a belt on this kid because I think he is the real deal. As I mentioned to you off air, I'm working on getting Max on the show to do a podcast with him to talk about all of these things because he's been on the shelf since that fight with Ricardo Lamas at UFC 199 and he hasn't been happy about it. He is a guy that likes to stay active and so getting this fight, the biggest opportunity to date of his career, is a huge step in the right direction for him. Certainly, I'm sure, makes him happy. We will hopefully get a chance to talk to him about it. But in terms of this Toronto card, for you looking at the lineup now with the addition of this, what kind of letter grade do you give this card? Is this a B? Is it a C? It's it's definitely not an F. This improves it from sort of being in that area where you're like, maybe you stay after school and do a little extra credit work and we see if we can't pass you. <laughs> but I still don't know if this is a, oh, you you, you got to be that. That's good, son. Good work. Yeah, I, I'd give it, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, leaning towards sort of the C kind of range right now. Uh, what, given what we have, C, C plus, you know, the, the MMA, you know, fan in me, um, of a lot of these guys who maybe some people, you know, the casual fan haven't heard of, you know, the return of Lando Venata, that excites me. Uh, <laughs> Duho Choi versus Cub Swanson, that excites me. There, there's, um, you know, a bunch of really good fights on this card, but I don't think there's necessarily, you know, drawing power fights on this card. And, you know, that goes, honestly, pretty much top to bottom so far. I mean, Daniel Cormier versus Anthony Johnson – you know, one of the five best fights you can make in the UFC right now. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a great fight and one that, you know, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing the rematch. But in terms of actual drawing power, how many people will, you know, tune in to watch that matchup again that are just kind of mainstream fans? I don't know if it does, you know, uh, that that good of numbers. But in in terms of, you know, what those guys bring, you know, to the light heavyweight division and how. You know, this fight could play out potentially. And after seeing that first one where, you know, Johnson sent Cormier flying across the octagon, I'm certainly super, you know, excited to see that. Um, but, yeah, overall, I mean, I'd say it's in that sort of C, C-plus range for me. Um, it, that being said, you know, with a little asterisk because 
you know, I, I'm looking at it from, uh, you know, the position of a sort of a mainstream kind of fan when I say that. If it's from an MMA fan's point of view, a, a really dedicated MMA fan who follows the sport, it's more like a B-plus to me, B-B-plus. Um, there's a lot of guys on here that I'm interested in seeing their progression, especially, you know, like I said, you know, Duho Choi, Lando Venata, uh, uh, Misha Serkinov. There, there's some guys on here that will be making noise in the next couple of years, and this could be the card that, you know, we look at and be like, hey, you know, he, he, that's where it started for them. Yeah, it's funny. I've I've spent the last couple of weeks talking about it, and I mean, I've written about it both in print and online for the province about this card not being strong enough, about Toronto deserving better, about Canada as a whole deserving um, better, deeper cards, and not just these events where it's three or four fights and then a whole ton of Canadians. Um, that's not to say I don't enjoy watching Canadians fight. I'm in the same boat as you. I'm actually warming to this card just from an MMA fan perspective, because as you said, I want to see the evolution of Misha Sorkinov and Nikita Krilov. I want to see how Duho Choi handles Cub Swanson. I want to see Jordan Meehan return, excuse me, against Emil Meek, um, who beat Husimar Palharas over in Venator earlier this year. So there are some fights. I do look at it similar to UFC 204, where it was a championship main event, a pretty good co-main event, and then a bunch of, yeah, we'll see kind of fights. That card ended up exceeding expectations. Nine finishes in a row sandwiched by two decisions and the championship fight was a thrilling decision at that. So I'm starting to get a little bit of like fan going to watch this hope. I still think the numbers are going to be extremely low. That's going to be one of those things that people continue to use as a reflection on Daniel Cormier and the drawing power of some of these guys. I agree with our friend and colleague Danny Austin from the Calgary Sun that it's unfortunate that there is a fight night event in Albany, New York the night before because if you port some of those fights over, it really strengthens this card. But it got better today, and that's a positive. I'm trying to take a more positive approach to some stuff. It got better today with with Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis being added to it. Very early didn't even, I mean, you should have expected this was coming because I do this to you all the time, but very early prediction, who you got and how. Um, and we're talking here, uh, Holloway Pettis or? Yeah, we're to, I mean, we'll get into the rest of them, but that's the one that was announced today. I think we've already sort of talked a little bit about, about Cormier Johnson. I'm assuming you don't want to get into Chad Laprise, Lee Jang Liang at this point. So yeah, let's go with the one that was announced today. Yeah, I mean, as it stands right now, I'd have to say Max Holloway. Um, there's nothing that's indicated to me um, that Max Holloway has, you know, even sort of, you know, slowed, slowed down. Uh, the interesting thing to note, though, however, you know, when you look at Max Holloway's recent resume, in 2015, he fought four times. In 2014, he also fought four times. Um, this is a year where this will only be his second fight of the year. So it might be a little interesting to see, you know, how that affects him. Will it affect him at all? Um, you know, inactivity can can be, you know, a really big deterrent for some fighters. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just curious to see how it will affect someone like Holloway. Could it make him, you know, even sharper and stronger having that time off? That That's very possible. Um, but some of these guys like to get out there and, you know, as we talked about, uh, you know, just before, um, Holloway's a guy who hates inactivity. So I'm, I'm curious how that'll affect him at the end of the day. I do still think that, you know, at this point in his career, Holloway is, you know, the better fighter. Um, but then again, Anthony Pettis, a uh, very dangerous guy, maybe feeling a little bit of confidence coming off that, uh, featherweight debut versus Charles Oliveira. He got the finish. He did what he had to do. An interesting fight, but I'm going with Max Holloway. Conversely to your Max Holloway only fighting twice after being a hyperactive guy over the last couple of years, Anthony Pettis fighting for the fourth time in 2016, the first time since 2010 
that Showtime has made four trips into the cage. That was back his run up the ladder and to the championship to close things out at WEC 53 where he hit the Showtime kick. So if you're somebody that believes in superstition and patterns and karma and all of that stuff, maybe a fourth fight for a second time for Anthony Pettis is is the magic elixir. A sophomore appearance at featherweight. You mentioned we saw him out here in Vancouver at the end of August. It wasn't great, but he got the job done. This is the fight he needs to win. These are the type of fights he needs to win in order to be a legitimate contender in this division. So Toronto, it's not the return of GSP that you wanted and that you were hopeful for, but it's a pretty damn good fight nonetheless. Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio, East Spencer Kite, Patrick Schwicklinski. Before this fight got announced and before Michael Bisping started egging on George St. Pierre on Twitter, drawing out a response from Rush on Wednesday afternoon. The biggest story of the week had been that the California kid, Uriah Faber, announced that his fight in December in Sacramento at the brand new Golden One Center against Brad Pickett will be the final fight of his career. Again, news that was broken on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani, reiterating again that that is a must-watch or must-listen to because they podcast it as well. Show every week, shout out to Ariel and New York Rick and that whole crew. I wrote about this today because it was interesting to me to see some of the MMA populace out there taking shots at Faber. And listen, as I said in the piece, you can't argue the 0-7 in his last seven championship fights. That's a tough number to overcome. But I also think you can't just look at a guy like Faber and go, oh, he didn't win a UFC title. He went 0-7 in his last seven championship opportunities. He wasn't as great as everybody wants to make him out to be because the guys he lost to are all t- are a couple all-time greats in Jose Aldo and Dominic Cruz. He lost to Henan Burrell when Henan Burrell was on his streak. He lost to Mike Brown when Mike Brown was at the height of his talents. And beyond that, there's not many guys that get seven championship fights. And outside of this last one back in the summer at UFC 199, it's hard to argue that Faber didn't do what was necessary to earn all of those opportunities. Yes, being a star and being a company man sort of kept him close. But when the chips were down prior to that fight with Frankie Edgar in the Philippines a couple years ago, he had gone undefeated in non-title fights. And so to look at him and just judge him on those final seven championship opportunities, to me feels false. I wrote that today on Keyboard Kimura. What do you think about all of this? Where does Faber fall in sort of the the pantheon of all-time greats for you? Yeah, I mean... For me, you know, when I think of Uriah Faber, I definitely, you know, think of him as as one of the greatest lighter weight fighters of all time. And, you know, that's not only because of his accomplishments, you know, uh, in the WEC and then, you know, going on to have success in the UFC as well. You know, obviously the not winning championship fight thing is, is always been a conversation when you talk about Faber. Um, but it's something that I don't think should deter from his overall legacy. Um, and that legacy, I think, is more than just fighting. He was, you know, that kind of, you know, massively marketable guy at that time. You know, coming from the WEC, he had the blonde flowing hair, good-looking California dude. And, you know, he he lived up to that, you know, in his fights. He, he was a great fighter that came out there, you know, always tried to perform to the best of his abilities. He had, you know, a lot of losses in those championship fights, but... You know, he wasn't a guy that I look at and I think, well, you know, he, he never, you know, put it all out there and never, you know, kind of, you know, didn't didn't reach to his potential because, you know, he came out there and had bad performances in the championship fights. I think he's a guy who genuinely did, you know, everything that he could. He put, you know, his heart and soul into the game. And when those championship fights came up, you know, obviously losses for different reasons when you when you look across the board. But He's a guy that I look at and I don't say, 
well, you know, what could have been. I think, you know, what happened with Faber is, you know, that that's as, that's as great, you know, as he was going to be in his career. And I think, like I said, it, it goes beyond just fighting with me, you know, um, when I think of Faber. It, you know, he's a guy who really became the face of those lighter weight divisions. You know, when, when people, you know, uh, didn't really care to see little guys fight, there was Uriah Faber with that flowing blonde hair, and you recognized the guy, and you liked the guy. You know, he, he's always been a very likable, likable, very marketable guy. When Dominic Cruz, you know, had his long layoff, Faber was still there, you know, uh, fighting with the best and, and still a huge name in the sport. So I think, um, you know, obviously when you look at the scope of his career and, and maybe when you look at it 20 years, 30 years, one day in the future when, when somebody's looking at it, uh, you'll see all those losses in the championship fights. But I don't think that we can forget, you know, what he brought in terms of being a pioneer in those lighter weight divisions. He, he's truly a pioneer and a guy who, you know, made those lighter weight divisions something to watch by, you know, just being... Uh, not only a great fighter, but, you know, a great guy and someone who's a very marketable guy and someone whose, you know, face and hair you can never forget. <laughs> People will always remember the butt chin. That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> That's right. Faber was undeniably the face of the franchise in the WEC. He was the guy that made it, I want to say, gave the UFC reason to think we can bring these divisions over bring over the featherweights and the bantamweights and have success with them because they saw the success he had as a headlining act for the WEC and that's not to take anything away from the guys that were champions at the time or the cast of lightweight fighters that were still with the WEC that went on to have great success in the UFC or even the guys that came over before that when Brian Stan and Carlos Condit and those divisions shifted over before the lighter weight classes did. But, but Faber and the team alpha male crew that he assembled a bunch of guys that he recruited and trained and helped turn into contenders very much had a indelible impact on those lighter divisions. I was trying last night as I was putting the piece together to, to come up with an analogy or a comparison from, I guess, stick and ball sports and team sports of like, who is Faber? What is Faber? Made the, made the, you know, were the Buffalo Bills of the early 90s just a good team because they lost four straight Super Bowls? No, it takes something to get to four straight Super Bowls. I think Faber's in, in that category a little bit. Thinking about it now, he feels like, Remember when Michael Jordan took his little baseball hi hiatus and, and pressed pause for a little bit, and we had those two years where it didn't really feel like we had a true superstar that was carrying the NBA, and the Houston Rockets won a couple titles, and that's when everybody sort of smartened up and realized that Akeem Olajuwon was great. That's sort of what Faber feels like to me a little bit, is just that guy that was really good before people were quite paying attention and focused on it and and really understood that he had always been great. And then once the attention came back, it had just been a little bit too late. Like if, if everything in Faber's career happened, let's say five years later than it did, there would be no question and maybe some of those results change and things like that. But it just feels like over time, when this is all said and done, we'll look back and be like, wait a minute, this dude was way better than we gave him credit for looking at his record from 2008 on. He lost to a bunch of killers. And, and I think it only gets strengthened as guys like Jose Aldo continue to compete, as Dominic Cruz continues to be the best bantamweight in the world right now, as Frankie Edgar remains one of the best lighter weight fighters of all time. I think we're going to remember and, and sort of reshape how those people that are critical of Uriah Faber right now look at him in the future. Because to me, there's no question that this is one of the best fighters in the history. Listen, he's he's not on the Mount Rushmore. I don't want people to suddenly think I'm comparing him to Anderson Silva or George St. Pierre. But when you get into that 15 to 25 group for me, Uriah Faber is very much in there. Yeah, the, the little Mount 
Rushmore. <laughs> the miniature That's Mount Rushmore, the smaller <laughs> version, the one that they sell in the gift shop That's right. at the actual Mount Rushmore. <laughs> It's the Keyboard Kimura Podcast on Province Sports Radio. ESK, Patrick Schwicklinski. Wrapping things up, last topic of the night. You texted it to me. You wanted to talk a little bit of John Jones. So I'm going to let you set this one up, roll with it, get out whatever you need to get out, and then I will chime in. Well, I mean, you know, where where to start? I mean, for <laughs> first we, we kind of saw you know, the, the John Jones tirade on the whole, you know, light heavyweight division. Um, it, it was, it was pretty, pretty epic. I'm not sure. I don't the, think he deleted those comments. Uh, the, the Twitter F all y'all love John Jones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, he still has those uh, tweets up, I believe. I believe which, he said uh, daddy's which... watching at one point, which was really creepy and gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, he definitely, um, yeah, he de- he definitely said that, and he definitely said a lot of things that uh, were very sort of uh, Drake diss song esque. Um, a lot of these dudes felt like Meek Mill. Uh, it was kind, it was kind of. You mentioned your boy Drake in there, and I'm going to interrupt because Drake <laughs> taking shots at Kid Cudi cool. <laughs> is brutal. Don't do that, Aubrey. And if you're if you're the Toronto Raptors brand ambassador and global ambassador, get your ass to opening night continue <laughs> very true very true no and and uh yeah i mean with with john jones it seems like a guy who definitely has a lot of time on his hands to now kind of look at that you know light heavyweight division and if if what we're hearing you know uh is potentially true that he'll get his you know sentence reduced uh from usada uh we'll, we'll see what happens i mean it's a curious thing, and and you know that John Jones is going to be watching closely. You know the, this fight at UFC 206. He, you know, he strikes me as a guy that you know definitely wants to get right back in there. But um, you know he he's he's on the sidelines right now. I I don't know you know when he'll be back, but it's always nice to see a John Jones tirade every now and then, just to kind of you know make sure that you know. He's he's still around. He's still lurking in the shadows of this, you know, light heavyweight division. And you know, the fight between Rumble and and DC, it's it's going to be a great fight, you know. And, and I fully believe that. But you know, everything that happens in that light heavyweight division without John Jones just isn't the same. And um, you know, I'm really hopeful that we get do get to see him fight, you know, DC or Rumble again, you know, uh, at one point in the future. But, you know, seeing him kind of take shots on, on Twitter and, and do his thing, I think we're seeing a little more of that, you know, personality come through, uh, a little bit of that, you know, John Jones unhinged. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people, you know, wanted to see more so when, you know, he was trying to be the good guy all the time. And he's kind of embracing that a little bit. When I see, you know, the, the Twitter tirade like that, I say, okay, that's John Jones. That's the guy. He he's he's saying he's gonna whoop all these light heavyweights ass, and I believe it when he says it. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, with with his appeal. Um, but man, uh, it, it's also fun to see him on Twitter every now and then, going off on the light heavyweight division. Let's start with the appeal, which is coming up on Monday on Halloween. Um, Fox Sports reported <laughs> that. His attorney has basically said John Jones is a victim of a contaminated supplement. They've tested it. USADA's tested it. Um, they've found traces of both substances. So that absolutely bodes well for John Jones. I know that for me was one of the things when when you instantly knew that this was going to be the explanation and then it was two substances, you were like, well, wait a minute. I understand that the supplement industry is the Wild West and they're throwing whatever they can in there to get you hooked and and telling people that this stuff is great. But I was a little bit sketchy and suspicious when it was two things. But I mean, apparently, whoever, whatever supplement he was using, they were just like, we're going to put a whole lot of whatever we can in here, not put it on the label and just see what happens. Now we're going to see what happens. So that's going to be interesting how the... NAC deals with that. The thing to remember is that regardless of whatever USADA has proven or 
is able to determine he's still going to catch some kind of suspension. Um, it could be six months. It could be nine months. It could be a year just because the NAC is crazy and they could be like, look at all the shit you've done in the past, John Jones. We need to teach you a lesson, even though this isn't one of those teach John Jones a lessons thing. Like this isn't John Jones being a knucklehead. This is John Jones taking something that he absolutely didn't know he was taking, allegedly. Um, but that's going to be interesting because you never know what's going to happen with the NAC. As far as the John Jones Twitter tirades, one, I'm impressed that he hasn't taken all of this stuff down because that's been John Jones's move. And it's a lame move. It's weak sauce to me. Leave it up. If you're, if you're man enough to put it out there and if you're ballsy enough to put it out there, just leave it up there. Just let it be. Once that, it's that's said, the, that's some, the real story. Yeah. Somebody's already screen capped it. Like that's the other part of it. Yeah, all these I mean, intrepid import reporters at, you know, various websites are screen, like they've got to be paying somebody that just sits on Twitter to see what these people are tweeting because they get screen capped right away. Yeah, and I so mean, we're going to have it. You may as well leave it up there. So he's left a bunch of them up there. I would like to suggest to John Jones or team Jones, Malky and Abraham Kawa, make sure your boy phrases things properly because the October 24th tweet, and I quote, steroids didn't give me the believe, spelling mistake, <laughs> that I am the baddest FM on this planet, kind of makes it sound like he was already the baddest FM on this planet. And I think it's supposed to be MF. So, you know, grammar <laughs> check before you hit send. It makes it sound like I was already the baddest. Steroids didn't help me get there. Which makes it sounds like, okay, I was taking some steroids, but they weren't the reason. So maybe just run those past some people, get whoever's with you to just look them over, correct the spelling mistakes, make sure you got the right there in there, make sure you're not the baddest FM radio on the planet. Um, double check this stuff because if you're gonna, if you're gonna go hard at people, spelling counts and the phrasing of it counts. Because, you know, that, that steroids didn't give me the belief is just like, but what did they give you, John? Because that <laughs> makes it sound like they gave you something. So just double check that stuff. This is probably why he deletes all his stuff on social media, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's, well, and the, and the other part with him in social media, and I know you said you really enjoy it. To me, John Jones has been for the last several years the poster child for just get him away from Twitter because for all of these ones that he sends out and then deletes and stuff like that we also get a lot of these like John Jones sliding into people's DMs and talking shit and they're getting screen capped and sent to the world too I don't know if you saw it there was one I think over the weekend where it was him basically just going in on somebody they had you know reached out said something to him. I believe she was a, a recovering addict offering help to anybody that needs it. I don't know what the conversation was. I don't know what the tweets that got them going back and forth were, but she sent or somebody screen capped a DM that John Jones sent her and it was John Jones going in. Oh, and like, that's the stuff where you're just like, dude, you have to understand your situation. You have to know that you are somebody that we are watching for this stuff for and that you are not going to be given any leniency in the court of public opinion when you're slipping into somebody's DM and calling them trash. Like for all the, yeah, it's entertaining when John Jones has his, that's right, light heavyweight division. This means I got in that ass fair and square. Kind of funny, but then you get more on John Jones talking a bunch of shit in people's DMs and it's like somebody just take his phones away from him. Just just maybe don't as bad as it is that the Cyborg Santos account is run by someone else that is clearly not Chris Cyborg. Maybe John Jones needs a little of that right now because for all the good stuff, we always end up seeing some bad stuff. And for him, the bad is always going to outweigh the good in these settings because that's where a lot of people are geared with him right now. And so 
maybe just take that phone away. Maybe just retire Twitter for a little bit. Or maybe just don't go in on regular everyday human beings that say something you don't like. Maybe maybe just take that approach. Because otherwise, I mean, listen, you and I are both on Twitter. How many times in a week does somebody say something that you just want to, you know, set fire to it and go in on them and you think, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that. And you walk away or you listen, probably twice a day, I type out a tweet and I get my wording correct so that I'm at 140 characters or less. And I just hit that X instead of hitting that send button. Because sometimes it's not worth it. John Jones, it is not worth it for you to go in on everyday civilians for saying something that upsets you. Because you're the one in the spotlight. You're the one with the checkered history over the last couple of years. You're the one with the target on your back. Maybe just let them talk shit and enjoy the fact that you are the baddest FM on this planet. That's going to do it for this episode of the Keyboard Kimura podcast. We are another weekend without fights, so we will not be back to preview a fight card this week. We will be back next week at some point to preview the fight card going down in Mexico City. The Tough Latin America 3 finale headlined by Rafael Dos Anjos and Tony Ferguson. A great fight. Some other very good fights on that card. I got a chance to talk to a couple of people that are fighting on that show. Those stories will be up next week on Keyboard Kimura. Otherwise, that's about it. This weekend, there's no fights, but it is my 38th birthday. I'm going to Castle Fun Park. I'm going to ride go-karts. I'm going to hit the batting cage. I'm going to play some video games. God bless my wife for suggesting the idea. Uh, Further proof that my wife is awesome and better than all your wives or girlfriends. Um, but that's about it. So happy birthday to me. Patty, what are you up to? Oh, if you want to, I mean, listen, if you want to leave the Island and and come hang out, of course, you you know where I live, but I'm (laughs) assuming you have like shoe shopping to do (laughs) always, man. But that's, that's what the internet's for in this day and age. Right. Um, no, man, uh, just, just a relaxing weekend, probably, uh, kicking it a little bit. Um, in good old Victoria, hopefully it doesn't rain too hard. I'm a little burnt out after, you know, concert weekends and all that stuff. So it's just going to be a nice rest relaxation with the girl. And, you know, maybe maybe I'll uh, have to send you some birthday wishes, you know, and, and stuff like that. I'll send you some flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I will send you – I will slide into your DMs and send you my, my address so you can send those gift cards and fruit baskets. <laughs> We will, as I said, we won't be back later this week to preview a show. But as I mentioned earlier, trying to get Max Holloway on, working on a couple other guests. If we get them, they will go up right away. So please stay tuned to Province Sports and Keyboard Kimura on the web and on iTunes. Easiest thing to do is subscribe. It just shows up in your podcast feed whenever we drop a new episode. Um, hoping to get a couple more guests on here, start taking it in that direction a little bit. Patty will be back next week at some point with me to preview that tough Latin America finale. But until then, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy Halloween on Monday. Enjoy my birthday on Sunday and be good to one another. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com Follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Keyboard Kimura. Kimura.